I would say take action, do something. You can do it. I did it. Anyone can do it. Don't let language, distance, lack of knowledge, lack of money even stop you. If you have the dream and you think you can do it, find your way of how you're going to make it happen. Because trust me, it will happen. Just put it out there and everything will fall into place. Thanks for subscribing to the ZonCon podcast, the podcast all about Amazon conversations. These are the tips and tricks to become an Amazon millionaire. Here is your host, Andrew Erickson. He is all things Amazon, and so is this podcast. Let's have an Amazon conversation. Hey guys, welcome back to the ZonCon podcast. I am Andrew Erickson, as always. I am here with the lovely Kata. Kata, thank you for being here with us. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited for your story. That's what we're talking about today. Your beginnings, your introduction into Amazon, and then your your very incredible growth you've had this last few years on Amazon building your business. I'm really excited. Kata and I are both leaders inside of Titan, the mastermind. And Kata also had a podcast where she talked about her and I went back and forth on our predictions for 2021. That was published about a month ago, and that is episode 53, published the middle of January. So if you want to go back and listen to that, Also, Kata's husband was on here, too, on episode 52, talking about the 12-week year, which is the uh, how to build goals and to achieve them, especially for this new year. So, but Kata, I love your story. Such a beautiful story. And I I love, Kata, you are, I don't want to go too much, but you're a very empathic person. You have a very high EQ, right? That's right. Emotional quotient. Is that EQ, right? Yes. Yes. Yeah. I mean, um, my EQ is not too shabby either, but yeah, let's go with EQ. <laughs> High EQ and IQ. So I'm very excited. So Kata, why don't you give us a little intro? Like where, where did Kata start? Well, uh, this is, it's funny because this is one of the most difficult things for me to talk about. I was born in the beautiful city that is Santiago of Chile and I grew there. I never had any interest whatsoever on relocating anywhere in the world other than the Caribbean for holidays. And Europe different wasn't in my plans at all. So yeah, it's, uh, I'm now currently living in England, just relocated back here after my husband's very successful military career. And he managed to do very well. And that high ranks are really boring. So we are very thankful that Amazon went in the way it did so far. And he was able to retire. And he, I call him now my kept husband, even though we work equally in the company, to be honest. But that's a just nice title that uh, is the payback for my years of military wife. And I, every time I hear Santiago, I think San Diego, right? Because I live in San Diego, California. <laughs> You're Santiago, Chile, right? <laughs> yes, Santiago, Chile, which is... Yeah, we, we don't have a year-round summer there. Proper seasons. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So uh, to start in Chile, what uh, what was your life like before Amazon? And, and since you, you alluded to to Matt, your husband, how did you guys meet? Oh, uh, what time is this program going on? <laughs> is it adult time? We met in a bar, actually. <laughs> we met in a bar in Santiago. I was a teen mom to my eldest son, who is now a lovely man. And therefore, I was uh, very responsible and I didn't have time to just go around partying like everyone does in the university life. I was being a mom as well as a student. So my time was very precious. And I was just out there one night with one of my friends and managed to 
escape for one night and then she gets this phone call that these guys that were friends of a friend of his her brother living in England were lost in Santiago they didn't speak any Spanish and I'm like oh come on man you're not gonna bail on me now just bring them over get them drunk surely like every other English speaker that comes to South America they're gonna get drunk with like one lead of spirit and uh, and then we can just get chatting and we don't pay attention to them and then she, uh, well, as the night progressed, and Matt was one of these gringos, as we called them at the time, even though now I know the difference between a gringo and a British man, apparently. The thing is, they spoke English and I didn't, and they didn't speak Spanish. So it was very interesting how Kaipiroskas just started to flow, and communication and chemistry did the magic. And we ended up kind of, you know, liking each other quite a lot. And then I got a little bit drunk and there was a bet going on about who's going to pay the bill. And if I kiss him, I will do it. So I did. I won the bet. And he was meant to go away the following morning. And that was going to be me showing that I can be wild. And here I am. Fast forward to, what is it, 13 years and I'm happily married to him. Nice. Oh, I love that. (laughs) <laughs> it didn't quite work out I guess I wasn't that wild after all um, I'm still a romantic and I met him and I could not do the one nice time thing so yeah we we did the long distance relationship for quite a few years until we ran out of money and <laughs> we just got married Had oh, a so how was the long distance going I mean did you guys meet up somewhere else in the world or, or like that's a really long yeah. distance to have a relationship through <laughs> Over, over 7,000 miles, to be precise, yeah. It was lovely. It was super intense, super romantic. Our story is, is really actually quite cute. I don't often talk about the romantic side of it because I'm just, I'm cool. how <laughs> I try to be, but, but I'm not really. And when we met, he went away. It's quite funny because he was like, oh, I'm going away tomorrow and we're probably never going to see each other again. Then you want to come up. And I'm like, dude, we might be South America, but I'm a Catholic girl. No. <laughs> and he went away. So that was the one case. And he went away. And that time we didn't have phones. I didn't have English experience at all. So it was literally just almost like body language and smiles and coy smiles and whatnot. And it was okay. Fast forward to a month or two when we're doing the Google Translate email situation. And then I realized that I was hiring more and more to get home to check my inbox because I didn't have internet in my mobile by then. So one day we realized that we really were into each other a lot, even though we couldn't talk much. And crazy as I am, I just say, hey, listen, I don't want to be 80. I'm wondering if you were the one. So let's meet up again. Let's meet up somewhere in the world. And it's okay. Let's meet up for Easter. We had met in October and I said, let's meet up at 7 of April, 10 p.m. at Zesa Airport in Buenos Aires. Something neutral was very far away from him, but very close to me, which was quite, you know, I'm quite cheeky like that. So I was like, okay, if we get along really well, because honestly, I don't even remember what you look like, but if we get along really well, we stay together for the week. And if not, you just go away and I'll do some shopping. Buenos Aires is great. Argentina is great. Fun, so I could just do that. And then we did get along really well. And we had this really cute picture when we re-encounter for the first time, if you wish, after having been speaking over email for months and months. And uh, and oh my God, it was so romantic to just be with each other again. It was so nervous that I actually let 
notes of where I was going to be in case I just show up in the, you know, international media newspapers, Chilean girl found dead by crazy Brit or something like that. And, nice. it, and I was just blurting out the whole romantic story to the people at the airport. So everyone in the flight were meeting their people coming out of Matt's plane, but staying put so they could see us getting to see each other again. It was, the whole thing was like a film. It's ridiculous. And yeah, we had these really good pictures of both of us with a bottle of Casillo del Diablo or whatever Chilean wine we were drinking and dictionaries in both our hands. <laughs> that was uh, the first ever, you know, uh, time that we truly connected and were together as a couple. So that was that was really cute. From there on, where we would meet each other every few months somewhere in the world. And as I said, until we ran out of money and uh, got married. Nice. Oh, that's such a good, fun story. Wow. So, so yeah. you get married and then you travel with him, right? As he kind of bounces around the world doing his military thing? Yeah. So, yeah, we got married and then I landed in England with my suitcases. And remember, I had my son, Tom, whom, by the way, as soon as I, Tom's biological father is exists and Tom had a sort of relationship with him, but I never asked anything from him, neither financially nor emotionally, but he was free to see him if he wanted to. And they had kind of their own relationship. But as soon as Tom and Matt met and we got married, it's like a men thing. They were just like, okay, you're married to a man, so you're not like my dad. And therefore, you are my son. And they started calling each other like dad and son straight away, which was kind of weird. Sweet, but for nice. me, it was shocked the system. But then I arrived with Tom in England and neither Tom nor I fully spoke English. Well, actually, we spoke very little English by then still. So I land in England as a military wife, as a wife, and then I get pregnant with Lyra and uh, my youngest daughter. And yeah, everything was new, new country, new food, new language, everything. Being a wife, I was so independent, having been a single mom to Tom for so many years. And, and it was everything was a shock. And then Matt got deployed to Iraq, I think it was, or Afghanistan. I'm not sure because he went to both. And that was me living in England, just, you know, surviving and learning and uh, and not just learning how to be a wife in a new country, but also all the ins and outs of being a military wife, which is a lot different and very old fashioned still uh, within the British military. So it was a lot of learning and it was tough, very tough to very lonely at times and difficult. You know, you're learning a whole new life. And I went from being a very successful clinical psychologist, having my own practice, my patients, my life, my independence, to basically be a nobody that couldn't even speak in a new country. And that was very demoralizing at times. So it was a lot of, you know, self-improvement constantly going on throughout the years of our first years together. But we did it. And as you said, we traveled the world together with each new assignment. We lived in Belgium. Matt was posted in Germany for a couple of years when we were dating. Then England in different parts, Belgium, America, England. And now he finally retired. So time to settle and find a forever home, which is great. Nice. So we'll hear about the settlement in a second. We'll bring it back to uh, Amazon and private label businesses. And so you're traveling yeah. around the world and you're doing the, the wife thing with your two kids. Yeah. Where does Amazon private label enter and, and how did you hear about it? And how did you get started with that? It was a combination of things. I've always been a hustler. I mean, I did move to a country where I didn't speak the language to begin with. So I suppose I always had it in me. But Matt actually listened to a podcast and heard about the concept of selling on Amazon. 
And he talked to me about it and I'm like, oh, well, I'm home. And other than military coffee mornings, I really don't have anything else to do. And I'm really one, I really wanted to have my own income. And I tried really hard. I homologated my studies there. Then I moved to Belgium. And just as I, I thought I was finally grasping the full extent of the English language enough to feel confident to work as a psychologist again in the UK, and went through the whole process and homologated and all of that, I moved to Belgium and I had to learn French because we were living in the French part. So it was that over. And then I moved to Alabama. And then I had to homologate again. And then if I was to homologate there, and then I knew I was going to Maryland next, then I would have had to homologate it in Maryland. And I just didn't have time enough to do both processes. So I really didn't have anything to do. And I was desperate. I was like, that's it. I'm going to go and work at McDonald's or Target or whatever. I just can't stay home not doing anything. I know that being a mom is something very, very rewarding, but I also know that one of the most important skills to have in life is to get to know yourself good enough so you can find you happy. And my happy, unfortunately, is not fulfilled with just bringing out my kids. And I feel horrible to say it, but I'm also very honest because not all women are created equal and not all women want to stay home. I always love studying and learning new things and I was missing that. And so Amazon came and we didn't have an awful lot of money. So I wanted to do something without much risk. So I, unlike other people that have the ability to go and splash thousands of dollars into a fancy course or whatever, we just did the cheap way. We just did the million dollar case study, Jungle Scout YouTube videos for free. Nice. And sessions. <laughs> so while I was doing the vacuuming and the laundry and everything, I was just listening to Danny McMillan and all of his guests and learning about this fantastic trade that didn't seem to, I mean, what could go wrong? And we decided that we could actually pull five grand together and give it a go. And we did. Well, here we are. Nice. And that seller sessions with Danny McMillan, it's a very popular podcast. It's the one that we, we won second place in his poll, number two podcast in the Amazon space. He would have won number one though. <laughs> he was honorable enough to take himself out of the running, but uh, yeah, amazing podcast. Don't unsubscribe from us, but you should also subscribe to that one. So you said you're vacuuming around the house, listening to the podcast, being inspired by all these things. Hopefully yeah. there's somebody out there right now listening to your story and being inspired by this. So why don't you tell us you started with $5,000. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. Yes. Please. If you're listening, gosh, I did it. I, I always say, if I did it, you can do it too. Because of the time as well, I have had major health complications. So I suffered from an illness that's not very well known. It's called pernicious anemia. And it's basically, I have a gene that I'm not able to process a lot of things and the nutrients from food which means that my B12 levels were on the floor and that was causing all of my organs to go into failure. And by the time years and years went by, and you know when you know there is something not quite right with you, but doctors keep telling you everything looks fine and until they convince you that it's just in your head. And I'm a flipping psychology, for goodness sake, and they still managed to convince me that it was probably just depression or whatever. And I fell for it. And the truth be told, it was this B12 thing. And I was so close to die because my heart, I literally have a big heart. But when I say literally, I mean it literally because it was working so hard that it grew. The muscle grew, my thyroid grew, my, I had 
neurological impairment, cognitive functions were decreased, my sigh went pear-shaped, you know, I just couldn't, I just couldn't function and it was scary. And I was recovering from this, which take years to get back to a normal level with daily injections and all of that. It was, it was ugly, it was bad. And even though I had cognitive impairment, I managed to launch a successful Amazon business. So I always say, if I did it, you can do it too. And yes, it took five grand, which is what we invested on a first round of inventory of a product that doesn't exist anymore because we added something that was trademark and we didn't know better at the time. And we could have gone into a lot of trouble. Luckily, we didn't. But we obviously pulled it out of the market as soon as we realized that we were infringing on someone's trademark. But that being said, we were able to differentiate enough and to apply my psychology background into reading the market and listening to the voice of the customers by reading the reviews and studying how, how people were behaving in terms of their purchases they frequently bought together and all these little things that aren't really taught many places. And uh, we managed to differentiate and often take over all of our competitors quite rapidly. So our growth was astronomical. 10, 11 months mark, we were already over the seven figures. And that was actually thanks to the networking because we had joined the Titan Network, which is right before when I met you, I think, in Orlando, one of the masterminds. And that allows us to learn and grow, you know, with the supply negotiation tactics that we had in this one of the first masterclasses. You probably remember it. And I applied it and I just literally bragged my way to just I wing my way to a culture that doesn't often say yes. But I managed to persuade my, you know, the factories and they lent me basically the Q4 inventory, which I didn't have means to afford. And I was a Brit in paper doing business in America. So I had no funding neither there nor here. So I was basically screwed. That's the one point where they say the businesses either fold or grow. And I was at that point. And thanks to networking, I managed to pull through and hit the seven figures within the first year. And then the multi-seven soon after. So we are very thankful. And, you know, we, we own an awful lot to all the lovely people we met along the way. Nice. Of, oh, I love that. Ah, yeah. such a good story. So you found a product that was trademarked, unfortunately, and you had to pull that off. But then yeah. you ended up finding several other successful products and hit a million inside of the first year. That's incredible. Yeah, it was really good because it was a product that was close to my heart. And I did my own designs and I studied religiously and I did my copyrights. As you know, I'm a bit of a copyright bitch. If I this my word, you're not going to take it. And I'm going to go and I'm going to find you. I'm a bit Liam Nielsen on that front. It was <laughs> like, I will find you. <laughs> and so we try to do things right. We try to be fair. And I still believe that karma is a thing. So I don't really spend a lot of time and energy fighting hijackers and people that come into the market. It's bound to happen. I just try to differentiate enough so I have time enough to come out with the next great idea right before that one sucks away my energy, my time you know, and that has worked really well. And customer service is one of the focus of my business. And that pays off really well because I have very little work in the after sales aspect of the business. And that's great as well. So it's worked really well. And we've formed a really good team as well. Small but mighty, as I call it. And we're now, you know, on the second brand structure for sale and exit and multiple and a structure that makes sense for me to keep the people that are dear and 
valuable to my team and the brands can just go and evolve when when they're no longer fun to run because the demand gets too big to handle. I, I want to circle back to that differentiating thing that you mentioned. So one thing that mm-hmm. uh, I've always loved to say is uh, be different to be better. So it's good to be better. You should look at your competition, look at the market, look at the competition and just be better than them, at least equal. But but we're all striving for excellence, right? Strive to be better. Yeah. And one way to do that is just to be different, offer a different solution, offer a different color, offer a different design. So Kata, is there one way that you can kind of that you do it or you can tell other people to think about how to be different with their products? Yeah, I think we have actually discussed this. We tap onto it in the 50, the predictions episode. I think especially now, we we tend to make a mistake of reading a lot of data and following a lot of trends and following process and so much so that we don't stop and analyze who we are as business people. Who are you really? What is your role with the company that's going to keep you happy and motivated? What are you really good at and why you're not really that great and though we all think we're the best at? The truth is we're not. And delegating is one of the main things that allows you to be able to step back a little and analyze not the data, but what the customers are saying. We have tools such as the Amazon, the basket analysis, for instance, in brand registry. We know what people are buying after they buy a product, what they buy in conjunction with a product. They frequently bought together. What the reviews are saying, not just the bad reviews, but also the good ones. Because by just by reading that information along, you they are telling you what they want to buy. And the reason they bought the product that exists is not because it's the best, it's because it was the best choice amongst the options. There's still space to reinvent that product. Bundle it. A lot of people don't believe in bundling because of the complexities and they are the cause. But you know what? Who are you as a customer? I'm a customer that I want to get as much as possible of good quality for as little as possible. So I price my products fairly, but I don't go crazy with the bottom you know, pricing either because I offer good quality. So if you want to give it a go at my products or you want to go for the cheaper one, it's up to you. But mine's have better quality because I buy the competition and I make sure that my product has better hardware that is overall but made more durable, that they are truly not just a description that claims to be better, but they are actually put to the test to be better. And that's what allows me not to have a lot of work after after sales. And customer service alongside that, I'm over delivering for a similar price, but giving them more of what they actually want because they took the time to analyze what they're saying in the reviews along of the competitor products. And that has to be a win because they're already buying something and I'm offering a better something of that. So obviously it's going to work. Nice. I love that. So, so you look at the frequently bought together and also the, the basket, what's, what do they call it again? Insider brain analytics, think, the basket yeah. analysis or something. Yeah. I think it's the, I could look it up. So I'm you sorry. can see frequently bought that. together for all products on Amazon. You can see frequently bought together. So you can look at your competition, the, the basket or the brain analytics analysis is only for your own product line. But they're both they're the same ideas, right? And so those are fantastic places to find like other kind of complementary products to, to add to your product line. But in brand analytics as well, if you go to your brand analytics page, if you are brand registry, you have the market basket analysis is what it's called. And when you go to that, 
it tells you that customers that bought your racing also bought these other products, for instance, or what they bought prior to buying your product. I'm trying to load it right now. But you have the Amazon search terms in there, which tells you what the customer type to buy and how he got to your product. And then you see who comes back to buy from you over and over again. And also you can do the item comparison and, you know, the purchase behavior and the demographics and all of those things that our psychologists love to geek on. And it's super overlooked. And it tells you, you know, these people look at this acing and this acing and converse for this acing. And, and it's really powerful. And nobody's talking about that. It's almost like numbers rule. But this is behavior. This is what people are actually doing, you know. And it doesn't take that much. You have it right in front of you. Just for some reason, we just decide to follow numbers instead of we're humans. So that what, what makes a product compelling is not just the picture and the price. Perceived value is a thing. And if you read and inform yourself of the actual wording that people are using, you're able to tap onto those and make those your keywords. You know, it's it's super interesting for me and I could just geek out all about it. But this is like, okay, never mind. Is that yeah, I think, you guys go have a look? <laughs> I think that's that's the perfect combination, right? When you have something that's 80% automated or 80% data driven, but then that last 20%, you, you need to have that human component, the last 20%. You need to add that creativity, add that spark on yeah. both the customer service and the product. And then also uh, understanding how these people work. So I love that you have a very nice balance of both where you're looking at the data, but you're also using that, that EQ, using the IQ look at the data and the EQ to understand what it means and what it means for people. Well, thank you. But <laughs> I, will, I would like to be humble enough to say, oh, so nice of you, but it's true. <laughs> I do. <laughs> I, I, I'm proud to say that. And, and I try to tell other people to do this. I think we all have the ability to empathize with others. And through this journey, one of the things that wealth leads to is to realize that wealth is not a financial thing, but it's actually a knowledge thing, in my opinion. And when you're able to share that true wealth with people and say, hey, listen, have you thought about, you know, read the reviews? Some people haven't even thought about it. It's something that if you think enough and you build your avatar strongly enough to get to know it, you know, to a T, then you'll know how that person is thinking, what they're likely to do. And you can even open markets. I'm proud to share with you that, for instance, probably three out of five first queue were products for which the main keyword didn't exist as a combo. And they were, uh, oh my God, I think this is really going to work, but we're not sure because we don't have data, which sent my husband to, I don't know, panic attacks because he's very much like you. He's like, the spreadsheet says otherwise. We have no data. And I'm like, trust me, trust me, this is going to work. Just bear with me. And it did. And now they are actual keywords with an actual volume and whatnot. But and yeah, it's super fascinating. And you know what? It just keeps the spark of the Amazon thing going on and it allows you to plow through all the issues that seller central frustrations can bring and all of that. So it's what keeps it entertaining for me. Perfect. And so Kata, we, we've heard about your past. We know about your, a little bit about your present. What's, what does the future hold? What's your, what do you want to do next? You know, it's, it's a tricky one that it's kind of an emotional question for me, to be honest, because I had these dream that one day I was going to be wealthy enough I was going to keep the millions mark and I was going to be able to just 
not know how much it could be cost and, you know, things that are actually, when I hit the first seven figures, it was very meaningful for me because nobody thought it could be done in such a short time, not even my other half. So I was kind of dreaming against the, uh, I don't know, the current, if you wish. And it was, it was tough. It was tough for me to sell my dreams to other people and say, hey, this can be done. We could do this, you know. And when I got there, I thought I was going to be bouncing off the walls and opening champagne and celebrating. And I just had this really, really overwhelming feeling of, I don't know how to describe it. I was so overwhelmed with gratitude. It was so such a beautiful, profound moment in my life. And the first need I felt was at the time I had a, a lovely lady who I'm not at the time I'm gonna pledge the fifth. I didn't know, I didn't ask, but she happened not to have had documents to have work in my house, which I didn't even it didn't even occur to me to ask her, to be honest. And she was about to lose her house. Being able to handle a check to someone in distress. That meant that her whole life could be changed with something that for me was more of the process rather than the result was probably the most beautiful thing and one of the most amazing experiences I've ever encountered. And that told me what life was really, truly about, you know, that give back and how pumped and energized you can feel the the true thrill of giving back is 100% better than any money for me. So the future, what holds the future? I want to cash out the brand just because it's a, the sensible thing to do, to have the money in the bank and secure rather than continue the thrill of growing and growing and growing just for the sake of saying I'm an eight-figure seller. For me, hitting the, the eight figures is actually something quite scary because the level of demand that we have for our products is so huge that it's not even longer fun to run the logistics and obviously the processes even though I do very little in my business I very rarely work on my business because I was lucky enough to grow an amazing team now I just do product development and you know it's I think we're going to sell one brand we already started another we're going to rinse and repeat I think until we get bored but as soon as we can have that you know that freedom number as we call it in titan secure in the bank truly free to you know risk pay risk greater risk and all of that and continue to work with our titan members right now that are getting the first chills and the first sleepless nights of oh my god my product's going live and i actually feel that excitement for them and even yesterday we have this as you know our weekly huddles that we call our weekly meetings with our members where they get to ask the questions and someone said, oh my God, my win of the week is that my product went live. What do I do? And I'm like, don't worry. I know you'll be texting me this weekend in despair because something that you've never seen before is happening on your dashboard. And don't worry, I'll be there. I'll reply to your text. So don't worry. And, and that's just really cool because you'll be carelessly relieved over and over the excitement of the early days when a random person that you've never met and it's not a friend and it's not a relative purchase your product for the first time it's really cool remember that it's just amazing so I love that and I would love to continue to do that so for me being a leader in the titan network is kind of my my little payback that fulfills my frustrated psychology inside so yeah I don't I don't really have any bigger plans than to settle and live a comfortable life that's simpler than what I thought I would want 
I'm doing a bit of Mary Kondo in my life, getting rid of all the shoes I don't wear and all the, you know, clothes that I was going to fit in one day and just having simple things and, and enjoying what truly matters, you know, and friendship is something that I've come to truly, truly value during this journey that can be super lonely. So I am in a happy place and what the future holds, I have no idea, but it's been great so far. Well, Kata, I love that answer and I, I appreciate our friendship. So I'm glad that we're friends and we're able to, to work together and hang out and be friends and hopefully hopefully see each other soon in person also. <laughs> Yay, it shouldn't be long. I hope, I hope. We're supposed to be going to Mexico relatively soon, but yep. So Kata, that was fantastic. I love that. And also like a small plug for Titan. If you'd like to join the Titan Mastermind, we are selective on who's able to join, but we do have an application process. You can check that out. There's a link in the show notes. It's titaninvite.com or something. Uh, it's, it's in the show notes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I don't even know. Yeah. But uh, yeah, you see, we're not very good salespeople because, because we're actually going to be the buddies that are going to tell you, no, not a good fit. Andrew and I particularly uh, a little bit. <laughs> no, uh, the truth is, it's a really great community. And whatever community you join, you have to be part of somewhere because you're going to be lonely. Wouldn't you agree to that, Andrew, that it can get really... Exactly. You that that your language. You, you absolutely can do this all alone. You can be isolated in your in your home office. You can be on the laptop alone, not talking to people. That that is, you're able to do this business with that interacting with people. You, you need a t- you need someone behind you. You need a team helping you, obviously with production and logistics and everything else. A team of contractors, at least. But the power of networking is just incredible. Like learning the best ways of doing things, learning the success that people have had, and of course the opposite too. The the problems that people have faced that have kind of challenged them. So I've always been a big believer in networking. Plus, just like. I personally just an extrovert. So I just like being around people. <laughs> so it's nice. All right, yeah. Kata. Well, let's go yeah, ahead and jump into true. my uh, the favorite questions I like asking all entrepreneurs. We talked about it a lot already, but I love asking everyone what your big why is. You're welcome to reframe that question. So I don't think you like the word why. And why don't you tell me what your mm. big what? <laughs> I love it that you already adopted that. Um, <laughs> so I'm a psychologist. Even my dog rings the bell when he needs to pee. So... Nice. I'm bored at home, okay? So <laughs> I, I, yeah, I'm a Pavlovian at heart. So I believe that when you ask people why, you take away the responsibility that involves molding, creating, and shaping your own destiny and your own future. I believe that what is a much more powerful word because what involves an action on your part to get from A to B. And I live my life a lot, feeling very sorry for myself. And I wasn't doing myself any favors because the truth is, if you don't do shit for yourself, nobody's going to come and do it for you. You know, so you need to ask yourself, what is it that I'm going to do to get where I want to be rather than who cares? Why is it that I wanted to have a Amazon business because I wanted to have money? And guess what? I had the money and it wasn't my why. It was the what that actually I enjoyed. So that completely changed my framework. And now I'm always asking, okay, so what are we going to do for this? Yeah, the world is ending. Yeah, there is a pandemic. What are we going to do about it? Is this something we can do? I'm a worst case scenario person. I always say to people, even my daughter, my kid, my husband, business, and you know, people that work for us and, and with us and 
it's like, okay, what's the worst case scenario? I even used to ask this question to my patients and patients, you know, there is this psychology intervention, which when people feel suicidal, even I know this sounds really serious, but it's actually a technique. When you ask a suicidal person or when you feel like the world is ending, the only thing that's going to allow you to figure out your reasons to stay and to do something is figuring out what's the worst that could happen. When someone is about to lose the will to leave, you say, so why don't you? I literally had a patient that said, I just want to die. I want to kill myself. I want to jump off a bridge. And I remember so vividly that moment that when, when I asked him, so why don't you? And people get thrown off like, oh my God, you're meant to be helping me, not like, you know, like pushing me towards it. But then they will say, because of my kids or because of my mom will suffer or because of this, the, the answers to the whys are within ourselves. We just don't ask the right question. So what are we going to do to be able to enjoy those kids, to enjoy that life, to enjoy those things? What is it that we can do to shape the future that we truly want? And that brings the responsibility and the actions back to us and shape the focus of this mean world back to ourselves. And quite frankly, if I would have been just feeling sorry for being a military wife with no income that just follows her husband, which don't get me wrong, I truly, truly admire all of you, if you're listening, that are capable of doing it and actually enjoy it. I just didn't, I wasn't one of those people that had that ability. So what was I going to do? Was I going to be just sitting there asking, why is it that this is happening to me? No, it was, what am I going to do to get out of this? And I did Amazon. And now I'm correcting people so they don't ask me why, but what? <laughs> <laughs> nice. Sorry. Uh, yeah, yeah, right. That's I good. Feel, I felt like I rumble a lot. <laughs> Sorry. No, that's good. That's uh, good. I like that. I like that. Cool. Well, let's finish up our last two questions. I love that. I love that. It was fantastic. The last two favorite piece of media. You told us before about Seller Sessions by Danny McMillan, which is a really popular podcast for Amazon sellers. Do you have something else that isn't a podcast, a book or a website or something? I like my book club with Andrew Erickson. <laughs> I just finished my book. I like audiobooks. I listen to audiobooks. I think I did mention this in our predictions episode, but I like to, I know for a fact that the brain still learns even if we're not paying attention. So if you're listening, something in my brain is recording that and learning and it's engraved there somewhere in a little folder and I managed to find it eventually later on, even if I don't think I'm getting anything out of it. So I try not to have any dead times. If I'm working, I have something in the background. And on top of that, it allows your brain not to think, overthink, you know, because you already are kind of getting two different inputs. So you're doing, as I said, you're doing the vacuuming and you're putting your podcast, you have no space to worry about things you have no control over. So that's a perfect case scenario for me. Audiobooks for the win. And if I had the time, if I made the time, I would love to grab a paper book again. But as of now, I'm guilty of audiobooks, my life through sure. whatever. No, I love audiobooks. Do you have one in particular that you want to recommend? You know, I have two books that are my favorite books. I know this is sure. going to shock you. They're not very entrepreneurial books, but I'm fascinated by them. One is I think it's called How to Make Friends and Influence People by Dale, Dale Carnegie. Carnegie. Love it. Love it. I love that book because that book gives you the idea that by reading it, you're going to learn how to manipulate people and you couldn't be further 
from the truth because the truth is that book what really teaches you is how to communicate effectively so people want to listen to you and follow your lead. And it has been so instrumental to me creating a super team behind me that allows me not to work on my business and truly achieve that freedom that we all seek. That's beyond money, right? It's, it's the true freedom of doing a craft. I mean, I have time, for goodness sake, and I have an Amazon business. I don't think you hear that very often. And that book was really instrumental for me to learn that. And alongside that one, I think Poly Made in China. I forgot the author now. Poly Made in China was recommended to me when I met Kian in China. And it really taught me about the culture. And I love being respectful enough to go to a country or to enter a culture and to go into business with people and rather than fight the Chinese culture or their practices or judge them, why not embrace them from a smart point of view where you you just know what you're going into and how to negotiate your way to get what you truly want and make them feel like it was their idea, which is kind of a marriage of both books, I suppose. But I think that book is really, really telling and it applies even today. It's not us. The practices are not as bad as some of the practices that I describe in the book, but it's good to know that. So I think a combination of those two, it's pivotal for my, uh, was definitely a pivotal point for my entrepreneurial journey. I love both those books. You said they're not very entrepreneurial, but I disagree. I think those are very entrepreneurial, especially with this space. I mean, all winning friends and influencing people, being employees, customers, or people in our, just in the industry is, is very important. And then Poorly Made in China talks about like some terrible things <laughs> that happened to one guy with one factory and those issues that he had to deal with. I think they're a little like, it's a good warning story. But if you do read that, be mindful that these are things to look out for, not necessarily will happen to you. These this kind of a bit of a horror story with manufacturing in China. So Kata, let's finish up. What's one yeah, actual thing? Um, the book, oh, sorry. Sorry, I was just going to say that the one book that I was going to say that wasn't very entrepreneurial is actually a kid's book that I always like to give all of my friends, which is Silverstone. It's about a seagull <laughs> by Richard Bach, Jonathan Seagull. And this book, I'm going to send you the link so you can share it. It's the most amazing book that I read when I was a little girl. And it taught me that the sky is not the limit. There's actually more than the sky. And that's what allowed me to dream big and believe in all of these things that I've been sharing throughout this hour, which is, you know, everything is possible. And I learned that from this little single, which is a kid's book that I love. And Richard Bach is one of my heroes and all of their books are in Amazon and yeah I'm going to send you the link so you can share it it's a beautiful super easy to read story and you can read it as an adult or you can read it to your kids and it's just amazing fantastic that's a fun one I have I have not had that one suggested on the podcast that's great so Kata (laughs) let's finish with one actionable thing that Amazon sellers can do today you can do anything towards just take action I will say I already gave you the tip in the predictions about get a good bookkeeper. I would say take action, do something. You can do it. I did it. Anyone can do it. Don't let language, distance, lack of knowledge, lack of money even stop you. If you have the dream and you think you can do it, find your way of how you're going to make it happen. Because trust me, it will happen. Just put it out there. And everything will fall into place. There's so many free resources nowadays that that's why I say that not even money 
justifies you being paralyzed. If you're dreaming of, you know, embracing this lifestyle, which is fantastic, by the way, I don't like to show off, but my life is pretty cool. I'm sure Andrew's life is pretty cool too. I've seen it. (laughs) So you know what? You can do it. Really do something. Take action today. It's not going to be any better and you're not going to be any more ready in three months time. It's like when you have your first baby, you're never going to be ready. Never. Andrew can tell you, (laughs) you know, don't wait. Just do something. Take action today. Whatever that is, just take action. Boom. Love that. Take action. Just just go to take action. All right, Kata, thank you so much for telling us your story about starting out as a teen mom in Chile, finding a gringo, traveling around the world with him, and then building up a multi-seven-figure private label business on Amazon. I thank you so much for being here, and we'll have to have you back on. This is really fun. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate us talking a little bit more. I've been missing one of my closest friends, <laughs> and, and this has been really fun, and I appreciate you for inviting me. And I hope everyone, if you're going to take anything from these guys and you're listening, you know, just reach out under an eye and nine. Just do something. <laughs> and thank you so much again, Andrew, for having me. Perfect. Thanks, Kata. We mentioned the Titan Network several times in this episode, and I just want to let you guys know what Titan is. So I'm one of the coaches and leaders inside of Titan, and Titan's an exclusive invite-only mastermind for entrepreneurs and Amazon sellers. Uh, We help people grow seven- and eight-figure businesses on Amazon and have them achieve financial time and location freedom. We meet weekly in little groups. We call them huddles, um, but we, we we meet in like little classroom settings, and we have uh, it's all led by a seven figure or multi seven figure seller. And the groups are all based on where you are in your Amazon journey, whether you're kind of starting out, if you are beginning to scale, or if you're at that level of exiting already. Um, we have different groups for all those different people. We also have a bunch of other stuff like a hundred over a hundred masterclasses taught by industry experts and standard operating procedures or SOPs as we like to call them, abbreviate them as SOPs on how to run your Amazon FBA business. If you're interested in taking your business to the next level, Titan is definitely the place to do that. You can always email me with questions if you want to. My email is andrew at titanmembers.com. It's, it's in the show notes too. And if you want to scale your business fast, You can apply for a strategy call today. The link to apply for that strategy call is in the show notes.